0: Have you ever wondered what it takes to build a successful business in the Australian property industry? Well, you've come to the right place. Welcome to Business and Property Development, a monthly podcast in which industry leaders share their insights and experience with host Harry Karadimas. Hello and welcome to Business and Property Development. This month, I sit down with Rebecca Angel, founder and managing director of Level 6 Venture Management. Level 6 is a boutique, project management and advisory firm that partners with a range of high-profile players in property and construction. Rebecca, like myself, trained as an architect, but found her passion and purpose in business building and leadership within our industry. She has an incredibly interesting international career journey, working at Rafael Vignoli Architects and Westfields in London, and also taking the plunge in starting her first business while overseas. I wanted to speak with Rebecca not only because of the similarities in our training and current business models, but also to learn more about her leadership insights and how she has gone about building Level 6. So without further delay, settle in. I hope you enjoy it. Rebecca, welcome to the podcast. It's so great to have you with me today.
1: Thanks for having me. Good to be here.
0: I've been really looking forward to speaking with you today and for having the opportunity to learn more about your journey and stories in architecture, project management, and your building of your company, Level 6 Venture Management. Now, with regards to Level 6, I'd also like to unpack with you the concepts of the Level 6 leader and how that can be used as a way of managing to create positive change in projects, also in business and in the communities in which both business and projects exist. So I'm yeah, looking forward to these conversations. Sounds good. So before we get into the nitty-gritty of the podcast, I'd like to ask you a couple of brief questions to paint a picture of you for our audience. So if you can tell me where were you born and where did you grow up?
1: So I was born in Adelaide, grew up there, went to university there, studied architecture and then left Adelaide. I left to go to London. I had actually, I'd applied to do, also to do a master's in urban design. I was always really interested in urban planning and regeneration, even back then, as well as the project management side of architecture. So it was quite early on that some of the concepts and ideas and project types that we're involved in now were bubbles in my mind. Yeah. <laughs> Went over to London thinking that it was gonna be a two year working holiday experience and ended up there for 10 years. I left at the end of 99. The noughties in, in London were an incredible period of time. There was so much going on. There was a lot of money in architecture and development. I'd just come out of university you know, I had friends there and it was a really good experience. I felt like I probably did about double the years of work in in that 10 years of time. (laughs) it served me so well for the future. I experienced a lot. I had a lot of transition moments. I did some further study and all of it's formed the stepping stones to where I am today. When you're in the middle of these things, sometimes they seem, there are particular challenges or they seem hard or they seem all consuming or they seem amazing for one reason or another, but it's nice to be able to reflect back on all of those moments and um, and be really grateful for every aspect of that.
0: Let's hold that thought. I'd love to understand your thought process behind leaving Adelaide and going overseas. Was it always something that you wanted to do or did you have it in mind that...
1: I always wanted... Some overseas experience. I'd seen I'd, you know, been very fortunate to have traveled with family as a child. So I'd had some really great experiences appreciating other cultures, experiencing the world. It was it was gonna be either London or New York. I stayed in London and I imagined that it would be just a couple of years' experience, but it turned into my life. But I'd never had experience in architecture in Australia. London was my first experience and it was just incredible. I landed in a quite a large corporate office and I was just immediately thrown into projects that, you know, blew me away. Being thrown into, you know, large scale teams in that environment, I was very lucky. The first landing was just a three-month contract and it was with a group called HOK and they were based on Oxford Street in London so and it was close to I landed at the end of the year so it's close to Christmas time so I would rock up to this office in one of the most amazing places of the world work on these great things and then you know leave the office the Christmas lights would be on this it felt like I was in a fairy tale and I was very young still then I'd just turned 23 I think it was an interesting landing you know it's it is one of those things where you have to to get a job you need an address and a phone but to get a phone you need a job you know there's this kind of cyclical issue when you first land in a new environment and I do remember sort of working my way through that I fortunately had another good friend of mine that was in London at the time and, um, you know, very quickly got to know other people around me that could help with the process.
0: Let's talk about your opportunity working in Rafael Vinoli's office. Yeah, I'd love to understand how you got into that opportunity and how it presented itself.
1: Sometimes I don't know how I landed that. (laughs) It was... um, I actually have been quite saddened recently obviously Raphael oh, passed awesome. away what I consider these days to be actually quite a young age so I was really I was really saddened by that. I haven't been in that environment or liaise with Raphael for some time, but um, he had a, an incredible influence on me not not only in terms of an appreciation for world-renowned architecture but just in the process of his creative thinking and the way that he, presents his ideas and concepts to his clients, I have taken so much from that. The way that he was able to look at a cross-section of ideas and distill them into almost diagrammatic concepts in a way that allows a client to make a very simple decision at the end of the day, like he just makes complexity very simple. And that is a real art, a real art and something that I very much try to instill in our business culture too and in everything I do and work on with the team on a day-to-day basis. From that first job, I went to a smaller practice, which was also a really good experience. That was small, residential, but it was where I got, I really learned the end-to-end of what we do. I mean, you know, you do, you come out of architecture school and and you think you know everything, but you know nothing. So the whole process of things and the, the going through concept and um, working with clients and helping them to have an understanding of what you're doing and educating them to a certain degree working through construction and looking at things on site that was that was a really great couple of years there and then it wasn't too long before I thought oh yeah I'm, I'm sort of interested in looking at some bigger scale stuff and just applied for the job at Rafael Vignoli's. They Had only just landed in London as well. And I think because of my obsession with New York, I was like, oh, this would be perfect. You know, I can be based in London, but they have a New York head office. Hopefully I get to go and visit. And that's how it played out. So I got the role. It was very, it was different from what I was expecting. It was, I was having to do a lot just in terms of the operations of the business and creating collateral and assets that suited a European market. It was a great experience. So It was very diverse. I was doing a lot of business development. I was working on competitions, which was also an amazing experience. So traveling to New York and really, that, that was where I really got to work more closely with Raphael as well and got to see his style and everything got worked through the model shop in 3D. You know The good old days of everything was physical models. Working with a team that was incredibly dedicated, it was, it was hard work, you know, there were very long hours. We all know what architecture can be like. All of that experience just made me a lot stronger. I was constantly, I was just out of my comfort zone. You, you end up getting to a point where you just have comfort with discomfort
0: you're in and, it the entire time. And it's the an entire important place
1: to get to in yeah. some ways because that's life.
0: Let's have a look at beyond Raphael's office. What happened after that? My understanding is you decided to start your own Yeah, own I practice. did.
1: The reason why I stepped out of Raphael Vignoli Architects and stepped into my own thing was because I got a place in an MBA program and that was with the University of Chicago, now called Booth School of Business. So I was very pleased to be involved. It was actually a business school that Raphael Designed the the Chicago campus too. So it felt close to my heart for a few different reasons. I applied to a few different schools, but that was the school of choice in the end. It was it was quite simple. I just, there was no way that I was going to be able to deliver the way that I wanted to deliver in the environment at Vignolis and do an MBA at the same time. It just would have tipped me over the (laughs) edge, to be honest. I've had a few moments in my life where I felt like that, but that was definitely one of them. So as I said great experience, five years of experience with RBA, but I need to park that to be able to focus on an MBA. You know, thought, why don't I just do something for myself? There was another guy, a Kiwi guy, actually, Pete, who to this day is somebody that I'm very grateful to have entered my life at that point in time. We became very great friends, but he and still are. He was at Vignoli's at the time and we just decided to step out and do our own thing, pretty naive and, and just thought it was a great idea. But, but but it did actually it did work because the way that the – MBA operated, we, we got together every three to four weeks for a full week intensive and so people flew in from all over the world for that week. I think it would have been very difficult unless I was doing my own thing to have really managed that effectively. It was a great period of time, I mean Pete and I, we just, we worked really well together. We worked on some smaller scale architecture, but that was that was probably also where I started to get a, a bit more of a taste of development and pulling together opportunity sites. We started doing a bit of work for a, just a small developer that was looking at, and, and we took a, a site to them that we'd noticed, and there were a whole bunch of you know, small scale services and retail shops around the edge of it. And we'd started, we just decided to start having conversations with owners of those just to see what their appetite might be for optioning up and that started to get a bit of traction so we approached a developer and started going down that path of trying to pull the site together and that was really that was really interesting like coming out of pure architecture and starting to get into that mindset of pulling deals together and that mindset of creating projects for ourselves that was sort of where and how that started we did a variety of things there was a lot of One-off residential dwelling type work. There was work for an organisation that was doing a lot of DAs to do signage, various structures for signage in and around London. That was kind of interesting work. It was less architectural, but some of it was quite sculptural, which was nice.
0: So, in terms of the lessons that you learned in establishing an architecture practice with Pete, what did you deduce from that that took you to your next step?
1: At the end of the day, you can be good at a at a job and in an industry, but you. If you want to run a business, you have to be able to get business. And that was probably, that was my first experience really of needing to win work. I've learned a lot in particular through level six about how to do that in a way that suits the way that I operate and how I feel about representing the business and the brand and our value. That journey has sometimes been tricky. I think in the early days of level six, it was, there was a lot of discomfort, you know, feeling like I'm selling something. And I, I think part of that also comes down to feeling like you're a bit of an imposter at the start. Like inevitably, you know, I was I was going for projects I didn't necessarily have a lot of experience in, or, you know, you feel like there's not a lot in the level six portfolio. I might've done a lot personally, but you know you're trying to sell something that isn't necessarily there to the degree that you'd like it to be when you're selling those services I think there was that I've had a huge shift in the way that I see sales though since I think that's just a part of growing I think to begin with it did it felt awkward and this this is a shift in headspace really it really felt like I'm trying to sell something to someone as opposed to I'm having a conversation with someone about the value that I can provide and how I can help that was
0: my experience as well when I first started I thought okay, I've started this business, but hang on a minute, I need to get projects and therefore I need to sell something in inverted commas as in my services. That to me was so, it was very uncomfortable because I don't see myself as a salesman either. But I also really miss that key component as in you're selling your services, but you're also helping someone solve a problem. That's yeah. the, t- that's that's the it. thing. Yeah. yeah.
1: And I think when it becomes more, I mean, obviously it's partly my own confidence over the course of time has shifted, but now been involved in such a breadth of projects and have such a great network of clients I don't feel like I'm selling anymore, which is a really nice place to land. I have a lot of comfort in just conversations. And a part of it, I think, is just the whole bringing empathy and understanding into every context. It's probably why I've always been better at building deep relationships with clients as opposed to, you know, continually having a lot of conversations out in the market and it's comfortable with it, but it's also, it can be a challenge. But at some point in time, you need to just focus on your strengths and run with them. I can build deep relationships. I have relationships where those people really feel like they want to champion the business because it's, There's an authenticity there in where I'm coming from and my true appreciation for what they want to do and what they want to solve. I want to make sure that we provide the right agile service that does that. That is something that's really missing in our industry. We all talk about a lot of concepts and a lot of things that are good for clients, but it it takes a lot to really nurture a team and to be really authentic with a client about true understanding of their needs and true understanding of their context. Every single day, you need to be cognizant about that environment because it can also change on a daily basis, you might be helping a client to change that context as well, just in the value that you provide. It becomes less about, you know, this is my checklist of things I need to do. This is my process as a project manager, which we all need to know and understand, but it's like, what are the things that sit within that framework that actually add value? Our jobs aren't easy, but it's easier to follow a process than it is to really constantly think about the extra overvalue um, that's provided by some of those, whether you call them softer seals or whatever they are, yet to really hone in on those and be cognizant of them at the right time and bring them to the forefront and know and know how to do that in a client environment as well, mm-hmm. like not in a way that's really helpful. You know, And different clients need different things in that regard too right some are some are much more directive than others so you can add its different value like and those that are more directive or that have a stronger appreciation for what they do because they understand what they need to deliver on a day-to-day it can sometimes be feel like a harder proposition to add value but if you understand and appreciate their context and know how to give real thought to how to speak their language in a way that lands with them Mm. like you can make so much Difference. So this sounds all a bit abstract, but when, you, when you're actually in those environments and you can see the change that you're able to do just by working with the way that they need to operate, I find that particularly rewarding.
0: Speaking of larger organizations, should we take it back to maybe some of your larger shifts in careers? So was it after Angel Engstrom joined Westfield? Westfield, yeah.
1: I did. I actually thought that I would come back to Australia at that point in time. And so I, this wasn't Australia yet?
0: No, uh, so okay. this is Westfield in London. Westfield, London.
1: I thought I was coming back to Australia. I'd actually taken a trip. I'd interviewed with the likes of, you know, Mervac and others. Was offered a, offered a job in Australia at that point in time and then went back to London just thinking I was going to be, you know, packing up, mm. wrap up, have a couple of parties to say goodbye and then, and then jump back on the plane. But I had a call from a recruiter saying Westfield are... Looking for someone that suits your skills, I'm like, oh, look, I'm going back to Australia. I really don't want to waste anyone's time. And he's like, I really just think you should have a conversation with them. It's no harm. Also a great Australian business. Good to have a relationship anyway, even if you end up back in Australia. Going into that meeting, my head was already somewhere else. I was like, I'm I'm going into this just to have a discussion, but I'm not going to be taking this job. If I was going for a job like that and I really wanted it, I think I would have found it quite daunting but I was going for that job and didn't care <laughs> whether I got it or not because I wasn't going to take it and then so I just put all this stuff on the table I was like I can do this I'm great this like I want this and I got the job off the next day <laughs> and then so that and I was like oh god I've told my parents I'm coming home I what am I going to do it was a significant role within the The organisation, obviously a really good business to have experience in, especially coming back to Australia. I, I was conscious of the fact that it would help my Australian journey, having had that experience. And most importantly, it was a time where there were Really working on the Stratford City site, adjacent to the Olympics, the, the sort of complexity of that project, the nature of the organisation and what I was going to learn internally as part of a very integrated business and from an urban region perspective and just, you know, liaising with adjacent developers like Lenleys and the Olympic Delivery Authority and all the challenges that come with that. I was like, you know, have a, have a moment, I think, of regret if I didn't do it. I was very lucky to have landed there at that point in time, I think. I was a design director there, but it was a very outward-facing role. I was probably quasi in development project management land as well because I was managing external designers and teams, having a lot of coordination meetings with Lendlease and the ODA just on how the pieces of city should stitch together and at the same time just trying to stay ahead of the Westfield beast. They are a machine, they know how to deliver but you have to stay ahead of that machine as well especially when you're trying to drive a concept.
0: What struck me as pretty awe-inspiring I I thought was your transition into from a small practice into a design directorship role. Did you feel discomfort in this new role and (laughs) and thinking, God, how do I make this work? Am I good enough for this? Do I know what I'm doing?
1: So yes, definitely stepped in thinking, how have I done this? I really believe that a lot of it, it just comes back to that whole feeling of self-accountability and resourcefulness, like just for figuring stuff out. I think once you get used to that discomfort and the fact that nobody's going to tell me how to do this, I just need to figure it out. So I think that that was probably the biggest thing for me that allowed me to operate in that environment where I felt like it was a huge learning curve there's a lot of transferable skills from architecture into that more project management and real development space you still need to know how to use them and how to navigate the whole the people environment in a complex environment yeah like that
0: that's what I was thinking Uh, it's it's
1: there's big personalities And there's a real balance between trying to drive what you need to drive, but also being human with people in a way that they can connect with so that they do genuinely feel like you want to understand their position, even though at times you might be in disagreement about what you need out of something or what you think is needed from them to have the right outcome. Everything is human driven, isn't it really? It is. It's all about about conversations. (laughs) Well, it all comes back to that, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah.
0: To get outcomes, you actually need to have the processes come off the back of conversations about what you need from from others and what they need from you likewise
1: and building trust there are certain things that underpin trust people do need to know that you have capability and that you're reliable but they also need to know that you are going to listen and have some empathy and compassion i think
0: what would you say are some of your key lessons and observations about working in multinational organizations and how they would relate to business and the management of projects
1: I think the biggest gem for me was that whole integrated business and being able to learn about all facets of development from the inside. I developed relationships where I could have conversations with people about their role in the organisation that sort of sat outside the day-to-day of the workplace. And I guess it's quite unique to be able to do that in an internal environment and really soak up as much about those different agendas and those how those people really operate on a day-to-day level. It's different from trying to do that in the external environment sometimes. And I could really watch how that operated in, you know, the meetings that you get involved with, with all the heads of all of these different areas of the business around the table, you know, it was just gold. So
0: out of Westfields, what came after that? Was it coming back to Australia and the establishment of Level 6?
1: Yeah, so I came back to Australia. I did a bit of travel for five months around South America. I think I really needed it after London. But it was hard. It was hard having that space because <laughs> <Yep. laughs> I was so used to running at a million miles an hour. At that point, I was trying to decide whether to join another larger developer or or do something else. So the other option for me at that point in time was looking at consulting. I ended up joining a consultancy and one of the main reasons being I felt like I could get across different more client types and a broader cross-section of the industry faster by being in a consulting environment and then get a real sense for where I wanted to land or what, I, what my interests were. So I joined an organization and unfortunately they'd spoken to me about a really interesting project at the time. Unfortunately it wasn't secured a hundred percent or to the degree that I thought it was it would end up just being a very short chunk of work I felt like I needed something else and after about a year again naively thought well maybe the challenge for me at this point in time will be just doing this for myself and it was not long after GFC so there wasn't a huge amount you know meaty stuff going on so yeah for me that became the challenge it became about, set up on my own, get some of my own clients and try to build up a business. Yeah. And at that point in time, so there was another guy in that business that was keen to do something else as well. So we joined forces and started Level 6. Is that Level 6? Again, yeah. very naively. I mean, we we had $10,000 committed and that was it. And then... I look back at that and I just think, wow. But, you know, I didn't, I didn't really have too much that I needed to worry about at that point in time. I did have a house and a mortgage, but I didn't have responsibility of kids and... I, you know, I reflect on these these moments as well, and how things actually happen, how you make decisions, and how you create stepping stones yeah. during these journeys. Because the business partner that I shared that experience with, we we sort of demerged the business after about a year, just had different ways of wanting to operate, or different things that we wanted to be involved in. Mm. So it was really quite simple, but I I'm really thankful for that. That experience in that moment because it's probably something that I wouldn't have just done on my own like I wouldn't have stepped into that environment on my own I was fine with it after that initial experience and getting into it but I wouldn't have done it without that stepping stone either I learned a lot of lessons in that first year and it also meant I had to I made a really conscious choice when we determined that we were sort of better off just doing different things at that point in time I probably could have decided to do something different or go into a large organization but I was like no this is this is me this is cool I already felt strongly about the brand yeah and i felt like yeah this is i'm gonna run with it and now it's been 12 years i do feel like it's been quite an organic process which has been nice and to begin with we were very our first work was in capital works type stuff i was very lucky to have amp capital as an initial client build a lot of really good relationships that i still have to this day through that organization and it was good repeat business but it was sort of smaller scale and it was pm really fortuitous to land some work with stockland just through some chance meetings and five a conversation yeah, uh, with Mark Steiner <laughs> at a, a PCA event and you know a couple of days later I get an email from someone that works with him saying, Oh Mark suggested we get in touch with yeah. you. yes there's really there's a few single moments like that where I think, gosh, I was lucky. Yeah. And then it's interesting because I have a very really great coach that I chat to regularly and she always stops me when I say things like that. She's like, Rebecca, it's not, it's not actually about love. Yeah. You know, you've actually I was just <laughs> you were there. Yeah. You were deliberately there. <laughs>
0: I was just gonna say it's probably not as generous. You're not <laughs> <laughs> you not know, as generous as what you should be because you're right like those moments happen because you put yourself in those positions and I was just going to say do you think that's probably one of your key observations about how things happen is you need to actually you need to be in the you game you need to be in the game yeah. yeah
1: most definitely for me it's for so many reasons I mean one it is it is that you just need to be there you just need to be having conversations yeah. and again they can be conversations they're not sales pitches. pictures just need to be constantly conversing yeah. with Gen- what are people's problems in the industry who's doing what how is everyone else going as well and sharing stories and for me it's also partly as a sole director of a business and a small business it's really it's a really important part of my day-to-day to to just be constantly engaging with others in the industry that are going through similar things and there's, there's definitely been moments I mean I've learned a lot about making sure that I don't get myself into situations where I'm too consumed in the business or that I forget about the value of those conversations and just making time for coffee with other really just interesting people in the industry or industry people with similar values you know that just really want to do great work and have great relationships with people
0: How do you go about building those do you just do you take the first step or are there things that are there particular ways that you go about extending your network
1: I feel like with all of these things with me, it's been it's it's all very organic. It's yep. often just if I have a great relationship with someone in the industry and it's generally based on shared values and experiences, then I'll talk to them about who else they know or I'll be introduced to people through them. It's a big tree diagram. Yeah. <laughs> I've definitely been better over the course of time at making sure that I do extend myself to have conversations with cold conversations with people when I'm out at events I think PCA going to PCA breakfast and taking my team there and going to other industry seminars things with the urban developer or PCA I'm now part of a uh, the precincts committee for the property council which has been a great experience so far it's the first time I've really done Something to that degree, and it's in an area I'm particularly passionate about, the people that I'm starting to meet through that are uh, you know, just amazing people. So I think with every conversation, I try to understand who... Their network is as well, mm. and how I might engage.
0: Just getting back to level six, you, you mentioned you had a, a strong feeling about the brand. Did you always have that key concept of the level six leader at the <laughs> at the start? Because to me, when I see that, I think this person hasn't sorted in terms of how they want to lead. That was one of the re- key reasons why I wanted to speak with you. It makes so much sense as to why it's so important to operate in this way. So, in terms of the way you wanted to run the business and your leadership style, that was level six always was it always that
1: to some degree it was probably just a bit subconscious to be honest that the name actually came before realizing that there was a leadership model that was so aligned to my business that was that name that's crazy. So it, <laughs> it it is actually it is actually crazy yeah that is I've had some friends in you know, marketing and brand and we'll got together over some champagne and started putting a million post-it notes up on the wall and. There probably still is a lot of this, but there are a lot of companies with names that were trying to be very deliberate or purposeful of in their name. I wanted to sort of steer clear of that. There, there were a few things about building this brand and the name for me that were really important. One was not having project management in the in the yep. title. And that was actually because of, you know, when I was talking within the marketplace when I returned from London and I was contemplating the space in project management and development management and design there was a lot of sort of grumbling about project management in general and the problems that clients had with feeling like there's a lot of post box stuff occurring, where's the real value being added. Project management was kind of like a dirty word for a lot mm, of people. Yep. Um, and so I kind of wanted to build a brand that just sounded like it wasn't, it's not a specific slice like that, that could just have the space to be perceived as as a service provider that, that does something a, a bit a bit unique, a bit different, and has the agility to not just be doing project management, but adding value in different ways and across different service types. And also, I think part of my business training is I I wanted to land a name that could actually carry anything at the end of the day, right? So it could be a project management consultancy solely, it could be project and development management, it could be part consultancy and part something else, like we find a product that suits the industry that we source from overseas and, and sell that into Australia and the business name and the brand can carry that. well so there was that aspect to just sort of thinking about naming yeah i I didn't want the name to sort of be feel like i was trying too hard to be something in particular i'm an architect by training and so i'm very design led and the design of even down to the design of letters and the strength of words all comes into play when i'm thinking about a name right so i ended up thinking can we also just come up with some ideas of words that just have strong letters or that have a strong sense about them just as words on a page as a as a name they don't have to mean anything level six was just something that came up as a part of that process i literally i was drawn to it just you know the letters are strong there's something level as a word is feels good you know it doesn't it doesn't mean too much necessarily when it comes to project management in, in general. So I was, I was already starting to land on that as a concept when I thought I'd better do some Googling in case there's other company names that are similar. or And the first thing that came up was this Harvard Business Review um. Um, management model. <laughs> and I, honestly, it was one of those moments I was like this what yeah, like, this, cannot be right. this, yeah. is, this has landed it because yeah. this is that just absolutely nailed it at that point in time because it also represented all of the conversations I was having with people about things that were important to the industry things that were important to my values and things that were that real value add in what we do In a management model that just happened to be the same as the brand name that we just, it was crazy. It just solidified, you know, everything just meant to be the way it landed.
0: I'd like to touch on the idea of purpose-driven leadership and how you've seen that through into the way you run the business, but also the way you interact with the clients. Can we talk about what the concept is for yourself? purpose-driven leadership?
1: Um, I think it comes back to that cognizance of contexts. So with the the level six leadership model, there's, you start with just managing oneself. And then as a level six leader, you have an appreciation for, you know, your project, your company, your, everyone that sits around you and broader society. And so, and, and this is something I look for when I'm recruiting as well, is just bringing people into the organization that have, that really feel like they're in this place in development because we have a social responsibility to think about the bigger picture you know development is a long-run game and we impact everybody and we don't necessarily see the fruits of everything that we do you know in a lot of ways where this idea of custodianship I mean we talk about it a lot in development now and in a lot of different ways and on a lot of levels that's sort of what we are in the development space and so to be good custodians and to make sure that we're making decisions that yes they have to meet the mark when it comes to what our clients want and need and different clients have different views on their own purpose and the purpose of what they're delivering through the course of that we it's our responsibility to be conscious of the impacts of what we're doing on you know the community that we serve and both today and in the long run from a lot of different perspectives how they experience the space the sustainability of the thing you know and even down to how how we operate the process with the people that are involved over the course of time you know some of these and the governance around that when, when we talk about precinct planning and precinct development we're working in these ecologies and systems with people for decades even just having an appreciation for our role in that and how we can play a part in creating success in that environment and how what we do today, you know, we also need to plan for allowing people to do their best in a framework for continuing that precinct planning over the course of time. And it's not just about setting a course for how we can be most successful in our slice of you yeah. know, time.
0: It's allowing the success to it's, carry on yeah. beyond your, beyond, I guess, the tenure in your. That's yeah. right.
1: And how do we design for that success now? And design, you know, not just drawing design, but how yeah. do we design systems, governance for ongoing place creation and activation? And it, it, the other thing for me is, uh, I guess, our positioning in the industry is a bit, we do position as design led DM and PM consultancy or yep. development consultancy. And by that, yes, I have a specific design background, but it's it's also about just design thinking, you know, capital D, capital T. It's about extracting constant value and testing ideas and understanding how to make sure that there's the breathing room for that framework to occur mm-hmm. over the course of a project. Sometimes you have to do that without it, without it even necessarily being recognizable to people because, Sometimes you are in a tight framework with a client and they have their own way of doing things, but you need to figure out ways of just building that in or letting that naturally occur within your project teams. And sometimes it needs a softer touch to that. Typically, people that I bring into the organization have a real and that enjoy the most working in an organization like mine, I should say, is yeah, people that have a real hunger for getting under the skin of things in that way too. The, the biggest value I think that I can bring to my team, I'm very conscious now of trying to bring people's consciousness into that level and helping them to have an appreciation that, yeah, the, the day-to-day can be gruelling and we've got deadlines to meet, but we are here to add value in, in certain ways and support our clients in certain ways that they might not recognise. Mm. If we can stop and breathe and have consciousness of that, at regular intervals as a team and really talk through some of those issues and challenges as a team to try to help them it's almost like trying to get someone to sort of step outside their box and look look at the situation from above i find that really helpful when when people are feeling overwhelmed because i do have a team that's highly motivated and actually probably one of the biggest threats is burnout they're very driven to you know, present everything really well and to go the extra mile for clients, which is amazing. It's great. And I never thought I would get to the day where where I'm literally saying that, that one of the biggest challenges is making sure they're looking after themselves and not taking on too much of the load either. So it's helping them to So, yes, we've got to deliver in their framework, but let's step outside of that for a minute and just look at it from above. What is it that that system's doing? What's our role within that system? And how can we be making sure that we're delivering but also not getting overwhelmed by that system?
0: One of the points that I wanted to touch on was company culture. We've started to touch on that uh, a bit. How have you felt like the culture has changed over time what sort of things have you introduced to enable you to build a company and a a consultancy that people work in with purpose
1: there's a few things about it for me at the moment one is because we do have staff that are often sitting in clients offices or working very closely with clients so it's it's hugely important that we reconnect and reflect on our brand values as i mentioned So we do these quarterly breakfasts where we look at the projects that the guys are working on across the board so that everyone gets a sense of what everyone's doing and how we can have some shared learning. We organize, you know, a monthly Teams event. (laughs) One of the things that I instigated, and at the time I was like, oh, this is just a bit too cheesy. But actually, it's, for me, it's become something really quite powerful. And that is, it's, sixify that's sort of bringing our purpose and and who we are and who our brand is into being a verb you know so to sixify something so our meetings are often around so when we get together for drinks it's sixify social that's this the brand for our social get-togethers our meetings any meeting has got the reference to sixify it's a good verbal reminder about being a part of level six is about how we want to show up in our work and how we actually do the doing so to what does it mean to sixify so to sixify is to be that level six leader and it's just a fun way you know it sounds a bit superheroish too right so let's just say like, it's a fun way to just create this constant reminder of how are you how do you want to show up today what's your purpose for today how are we going to sixify this It's not just about solving something. It's sixifying something. We're adding value to something. It's powerful even for me. You know, I I actually find it a really good reference point. Setting up meetings for the team and I'm constantly using that kind of language.
0: If I could just grab to to wrap up, I'd just like to understand some personal reflections about what level six and your journey to, to date has enabled you to fulfill. What would you say that would be?
1: You know, one thing that I love about doing what I do is just being able to be a role model for my daughters, which obviously I could do in a lot of different ways. You know, I've had some hard moments reflecting on the impact of my work on my family as well over the course of time. Like I, I went back to work very quickly after having them. You know, They have had to have a lot of external care, which has sometimes been a challenge, but they have been my biggest teachers. Yeah, sorry, back to the question. I mean, it's enabled me flexibility as well in how I operate with the family. So it's I mean, I'm never going to say that it's been – there's never been less time involved. In fact, there's probably still – have moments where I'm working crazy hours and it's still very intense, but it's at least I can pick and choose where and how I work. And it's also – it allows me to take on board any opportunity that I want to take on as well. So I'm able to – if I don't align my values with a particular client or I'm never stuck in any situation, you know, often people will, will say, oh, It's harder or more uncertain being in that environment versus being with a big developer. Well, we've all seen the mass redundancies that have happened when you're part of a bigger environment. And for a lot of people, like the rug gets pulled out from under their feet. You know, they might've been in those organisations for 10, 15 years. They're at the mercy of somebody else. Now, to a degree you are when you operate a small business, but actually really, if if you have a view that you're accountable for everything and you've got decisions for everything you do, which you are, you can change anything and everything. And so that's quite liberating. Sometimes I need to remind myself of that. Sometimes I have had challenging moments where... I've, at some point in time, whether it's with staff or with clients, where I, I have really ended up needing to force myself into a moment of, do I really need to be doing this? Do I really, is this is this healthy for me or the business? You know, what's my responsibility around looking after my staff around this kind of thing well? So, so I think the the whole choice aspect of it is probably the real bit of gold, you know, and giving, giving other people opportunity. I've, I value that more and more now, especially when I bring people into the organisation that they just really want to be involved. They just really have their own true sense of purpose in the industry and their own drive. And I find nothing more rewarding than than nurturing that. And I think in a small business environment, you have a lot of flexibility to be able to nurture other people's strengths and also areas of the industry that they want to get involved with. When I interview, I say, and this is quite genuine, I can have a plan for the next five years. I can sit here and tell you about, I want X, Y, and Z and, and this type of project and when are we getting this amount of revenue in year X and Y? But at the end of the day, I also could equally say, I don't, I don't know, and in some ways I don't care. Because part of being an agile small business that's open to anything is being genuinely open to any opportunity that comes our way. So if, if one of my staff members comes to me and says, I see an opportunity to do this, it doesn't necessarily align with what we're doing right at the minute, but it's the business case for it is sacks up for this reason and this is how we might attack it what do you think you know for me as long as it aligns with our values and it's not illegal then I'm like well let's try it let's try that I mean that's probably one of the the biggest opportunities for entering in in the level six environment really there's opportunity to do that of course if it doesn't sack up or there's there's holes in the business case then we're not going to go down that path but Yeah, the opportunity is there. And if you know what you're doing and you can underpin a reason for doing it and it aligns with our purpose, then let's go.
0: One final question, career highlight. Is there one in particular that stands out?
1: I'm trying to sit on that for a minute just to see if anything pops to the top of my mind. And to be really honest, it just doesn't. I don't have any one particular highlight. There's so many. For me, it's just been, yeah, it is like a string of pearls. There's been so many little things that have happened along the way that have just led me to where I am today. And who knows what Level 6 will be in five years' time, ten years' time. One of the things that Level 6 did a couple of years ago was helped a, a company, a family business doing incredible things in New Zealand that were more in the construction industry, that were transitioning into prop tech and also transitioning into the Australian market. And that that role wasn't a PM or DM role, but it was more about, it was more business and operations and transitioning and um, the strategic approach to that. So I was, I was, you know, obviously interested in prop tech in general in the industry and the influence that that's going to have over the course of time. So I was really keen to get involved in it. But that was completely off pace. And there were some pros and cons with that kind of work. But it was, it was a new experience. It was something completely different that Level 6 hadn't done before. It was I got to work with somebody that I... I have a huge amount of respect for in the industry that had been a past client of mine, uh, you know, and that sort of thing, I'm just completely open to as well over the next five to 10 years. In fact, if random things like that didn't happen, I'd be disappointed.
0: Becca, thank you so much for speaking with me today. And I'm really looking forward to sharing this. This is the end of the episode. I hope you've enjoyed listening to Rebecca's insights and her journey in both her career and her building of Level 6 Venture Management. Rebecca, a big thank you for sitting down with me to collaborate on this episode. Your journey firstly highlights and reinforces the value of an architectural education and career and the value of design-led thinking. Secondly, when this architectural experience transitions into project management, it has the ability to create huge value for projects, clients and communities. If you've enjoyed listening to this episode, please take a second to rate this podcast on your favourite listening platform. A few taps of your smartphone is all it takes. Well, that's it from me for this month. I'd like to thank you again for listening in, and I look forward to sharing the next month's episode with you very shortly. Take care, and bye for now thanks for listening to business and property development join us next month for more insights from people whose business is property to subscribe and listen to other episodes head over to business and